This podcast is hosted by Tony Clomax, director, writer extraordinaire, and Dr. Tammy L. Holmes of We Learn LLC, an educational consulting firm. The purpose is to talk to a litany of professionals in various fields to learn how they do it and why they do it, while getting their take on a wide range of topics. We cover politics, health and wellness, education, entertainment, social justice, current events, and more. So thanks for coming by. Grab a drink, take a seat, and enjoy the ride. And welcome to What's the Sauce? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we have an official name, What's the Sauce? I am Tony Clomax, writer, director extraordinaire, and my co-host is Dr. Tammy L. Holmes. Say hello, Tammy. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. We do have a name, and we are excited to be here and to be back once again. And why What's the Sauce? We like sauce. I like sauce. Who doesn't like sauce? Sauce. Sauce. It's saucy. Sauce sauce. I mean, who doesn't like sauce? I love sauce. I mean, sauce makes everything just hot and sauce and it makes it better. I mean, you can take a good thing and make it great. So does that mean we're going to like get into everybody's business? Not necessarily get into everybody's business, but we probably will um, make it lively and maybe spice things up on occasion or bring some flavor, if you will, or maybe take something that could be a little bland and make it a little bit more lively. I don't know. Or maybe we'll just add a little bit of blend or maybe we'll just brighten things up a little bit. I don't know. It just seems like it's just it just gives a little bit of flavor. Okay, well, you guys heard it. What's the sauce is our official name. It's awesome. Awesome sauce. Awesome sauce. Yes. What's awesome sauce? Sauce sauce. Oh, awesome. Oh, okay. I thought <laughs> she was trying to change the name of the show. Nah. On me right here, but <laughs> But yes, so we have official name, but this is our second episode, and a lot has happened um, since our first episode, and um, sadly, the rapper DMX has passed away after being on life support for a week, and and boy, the impact that he left, not only in the music industry, but just just in the entertainment um, industry, period, and in New York and just across the country. I mean, people were outside of his his hospital doing a visual, um, just playing his music and praying for him to, to will him to good health and to overcome um, the coma that he slipped into. And uh, sadly, he did not overcome it and he passed away. And uh, he definitely leaves a legacy. His, his music will live on. His story is sad, but also inspiring as well. 
you know, to see where he came from and, and all the achievements that he, he had. His story, sadly, isn't unique to hear so many people who've gone through the foster care system and to not feel loved by their parents, to feel rejected. Roxanne Shanti, you know, on her show, on her uh, radio show, uh, Rock the Bells Station, she talked about when she she spoke to DMX and, you know, they both came through the uh, foster care system and the things that children go through, the impact that it leaves on you, you know, not being able to sleep and having the traumatic fears and not trusting people. And I know that she said that because of her experience going through that system is the very reason why she never drank and smoked and did drugs. Cause she was just like, I'm not going to numb myself. I'm not going to go there because if I find that this is going to silence the noise, then I will be addicted to it. And that's why she doesn't drink or smoke to this day, but she does have trouble sleeping. And so to hear that story, and then of course, you know, we talked about it before where DMX was tricked into smoking crack, um, a joint that was laced with crack at the age of 14, it silenced a lot of his demons. And it's something that he struggled with from the age of 14 to 50. Imagine that, 36 years. So it's, it's, it's a sad story, but I saw that he was on um podcast and he's and it's 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 eerie because this was just two months ago he said if i die today i'm happy because i've lived a fulfilled life and boom two months later he passes away so to hear from his own mouth that he lived a fulfilled life he was satisfied. I think it does give some people some peace, but to pass away at 50 is just, he had a lot of life to live, but it's just been a strange last 12 to 14 months anyway, because of the whole pandemic and stuff. So what do you think? It's been a, a rocky road in this last 12 to 14 months. And, uh, a lot of people have departed due to different reasons, a lot with COVID uh, in the pandemic. Uh, DMX was not one because of COVID who departed. It seems like too soon. Another being Chadwick Bozeman, not because of COVID, but health reasons. But I think DMX in his own right was a voice of his time um, through hip hop. Regardless of whatever his internal addiction or the demons that he had to fight on his own terms, as we all have our own. Uh, one thing about him is that he he fought them in his privacy, but he also did not hide behind them uh, in his, his private and his public life. Uh, he spoke about them, but he also used his his gift and his music as a means to, to reach others and his art as a means to 
put it on the center stage. And I think that was one thing that drew people to his music over the years because he was somebody people could identify with. He was one that you could identify with because he was genuine, he was authentic, uh, which made him attractive. Uh, it was very complimentary because you knew when DMX, there was just something real about him, uh, whether it be the Rough Riders. Uh, it was something that was rough, but it was something that was very real in that capacity as well. I think the outpouring of his departure, it's one of those people that you don't know until his departure, how much his presence truly meant and how much his artistry of the words that he, he truly uh, spoke. Uh, one of the favorite things that I remember hearing him say is that, you know, he says, you gave us power in our words. So I think before I speak and that way, when I speak, they know I'm here to teach. And I think that, you know, his words became very powerful through his music, but he also gave a gift uh, that helped people, uh, whether it's through his own addiction, through his own problems, through whatever it was that people wanted to judge him. He didn't hide from it, uh, whether it was through TV or whether it was through how he overcame or whether he did not overcome. He was who he was, and that's just what he was, but he gave what he gave, and he left what he left through his music and through who he was, and I think that that's what people loved about him. And he left something through his music, through his children, through his family, through those who, who knew him, and that was something to be respected. In addition to DMX passing, we had a another hip-hop artist passed away, Black Rob. Just a you know a few days after DMX, Black Rob is was known for you know being with um, Bad Boy, known for um, the song "Whoa," and he was just two years older than DMX, fifty two. His government name was uh, Robert Ross, and he died of cardiac arrest. You know he was dealing with a rare kidney disease um, that hit him hard for the last four years. And so, you know, a lot of people would see him in pictures and like, oh, is he on that stuff? And it's and it's sad that people's first thought when they see someone losing weight, not looking well, is that they're on drugs. Uh, or they or they might have, you know, HIV or AIDS. And I know when people were when Chadwick Bozeman was looking thin, you know, people were wondering What's wrong with that brother? Why is he looking like that? Not knowing, you know, he was dealing with colon cancer. And um, so Black Rob, you know, for four years was dealing with this rare kidney disease and couldn't work. And it was sad because, you know, you find out that this this brother was pretty much homeless. You know, so he was just living from place to place out of the the charity of others. And, um, you know, so now a lot of people were just like, well, where was, where was P Diddy? Where was Puffy and all this? Why wasn't, you know, why didn't he help? And so, I mean, how do you feel about that? You know, to, to, to know that, you know, black Rob was part of bad boy and, you know, we, we know how wealthy Puffy is and, you know, it's just like, well, did Puff know about, Black Rob's health issues 
And if he did know, did he owe it to him to try to help him? That's an interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up because that goes into another uh, another major issue into communities when we look at health disparities and a larger picture of how uh, groups of people, communities, and individuals collectively uh, deal with health issues. Um, you talked about how people will assume um, if you lose weight or there's something wrong or uh, that's that could be losing weight, but also when you can gain weight, it could be a health issue due to medication on the flip side. Uh, but a lot of times when people are going through health issues that are very personal, very sensitive, and very, it could be very serious conditions. You talked about with Black Rob and kidney uh, disease or renal failure, or uh, which can lead to congestive heart failure or cardiac arrest complications. A lot of times people are very uh, private when it comes to those very sensitive uh, conditions. Uh, especially in African-American communities and especially in African-American male uh, populations. Uh, it's a very sensitive subject. People do not like to share that it seems to be that there's something wrong with me. It's very personal. It's very private. You know, a lot of times people will not reach out or let others know outside of their immediate, immediate personal family. And sometimes they won't even let their personal family know what's happening with them, uh, within their own personal family members, because they don't want them to worry or for them to know that perhaps they're not as strong as they need to be. There are so many different layers. So to say, did Puffy know or P. Diddy or he was to help? He, he probably did not even know. You know, we take these things that people hold very near and dear to the heart. Just recently, I've been challenged with some health issues in the last several years. And when things get very serious, sometimes there could be a fear within your own self that you don't even know how to deal with personally. You're challenged within yourselves to how to process uh, which can make a strain emotionally and within your own mental health. So for you to even factor to deal with it from a personal sense, you're not necessarily going out and broadcasting to the community or to the world that there's something wrong with you when you can't even deal with it. And even times when people who love and care about you, uh, telling them they feel like if they can't fix it, then it puts your burden upon them and there's nothing that they can really do about it. So it's almost like we keep it, as they would say, close to the vest and you keep it close and tucked away and it becomes this personal piece. And many times people don't talk about it until they become uh, triumphant or successful or victorious in some type of story that they can tell that they pulled through or came out of, or there's some type of smiling, uh, I made it out somehow story that I can tell you how I came over versus telling you that I didn't make it. I wasn't strong enough. Uh, I, I didn't have this this story to tell or somehow I didn't make it through or 
you know, and it could be a financial sense or a lack of health insurance or benefits to even think about how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to cover? Am I in the midst of having the medication or the financial responsibility or can I get disability? Can I have the benefits? There are a combination of different things that go on. What are my benefits? Do I even have what I need to have the best coverage to provide for the surgeries or the plans or the long term that I might need in order to successfully have the proper care that I might need down the road. There's so many different areas when it comes to this thing of health. And when we're thinking about those challenges, we're also dealing with mental health in addition to. And so many times people will take those major health challenges and they will keep it to themselves and they will not share and they will not tell. And many times we do not hear about them until maybe it's at a point that we hear the final result or we hear that we're reading an obituary or we get a news forecast or we hear that this is what it was, this was my story and now I've had the transplant or the procedure, and this is what I've been dealing with for the last many years, and now I've written a book, or I'm on the news media, or our successful celebrities have now come out and have now told us about what has happened in hindsight, and now you've heard. I understand the desire to keep it private, and then another side of me say, well, as a black man, you could literally save some lives. Yes. By speaking out about this. And I get it. I, I, I get the, you know, the desire. Okay. If we go back to Chadwick Boseman, he could have said, okay, you know what? I'm fighting colon cancer. I'm going to speak out and be the spokesperson of this disease and try to encourage as many black men to go get screened, get tested. But now he runs the risk of not working, people being afraid to cast him in movies. And that brother worked all the way up until he passed. Yes. Okay, so I understand why mom is the word for him. And then in the case of someone like Black Rob, let's say you're not you're not in a position where you're, you know, you're an actor, you're you still need to be employed like that. You know, like let's say and the thing about Black Rob is he had like four strokes. He had diabetes. You know, so he had a lot of ailments going on. And so do you want to be this charity case? You know, so there's a certain level of pride and dignity. I want to maintain that, but I do, I would like to try to help as many people as I can, but at what cost? And that pride and that dignity, especially being a black man, has some value, you know, and it's like, do I want to compromise and give that up? Like, this is the only thing that I have left. Do I want to give that up to, to be the sacrificial lamb? And I, and I get it. I get why 
certain people don't want to be the spokesperson because you run the risk of being treated differently. You know, let's say you do have diabetes and you're you're out there dating. You know, you run the risk of uh, a man or a woman saying, mm, I don't know if I want to date somebody that has diabetes because, well, what if something happens and I'll have to take care of them? You know, maybe I'll just, I'll steer clear of that person. You know, Sonia, that's a great point. I don't think you, that you run the risk. I think that it's going to happen. Mm. It, it's not a run the risk. When you put yourself out there in that public sphere, I mean, if you look at social media it, real easily, when you put yourself out there in a commentary, if you go down the rabbit hole, you're not going to please everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are going to, you're going to have those that support and those that are going to judge, uh, hate, uh, have the rudest, most irrational comments whatsoever. So when you put yourself out there, it's going to be that. And you have to live that in the public sphere once you become that transparent person with whatever that is. But you also have to be comfortable enough within yourself that if you decide to be that spokesperson, if you decide to put yourself out there, that you also are putting yourself out there to be that spokesperson, but you've also made some decisions for yourself that this is what I'm about, this is who I plan to be, but you've also decided that this is something I'm going to stand for, and I've also decided this is what I'm going to live for. And you have to understand when the health capacity that not everybody is ready to live that life and stand for that. And they might be still battling those conditions and what that lifestyle might need to be. Mm. There's a lot of different, and we don't know for sure what that is. Right. And so those who decide to be spokespersons have accepted, have adapted, and have decided, you know, this is my lifestyle. This is what I'm about. And this is how I'm going to live. And not everybody makes that change and not everybody accepts that and decides to live for that. And that's a battle within itself too. So each person is different and each person has that struggle. And we don't know because we're not walking in their shoes and we don't have that experience and we don't know their story and their background and what has led them to where they are. And so we have to allow them to be who they are, but we can be supportive as a friend, as a family member, as a part of their community to not be so judgmental, but maybe just be more accepting and loving because that's not our story, but it very easily could be ours or somebody that we know who's close to us. Well, shifting, um, to something that's uh and trust me we're gonna at some point get to some um cheeriness and stuff but Cheerio. i, I want to touch on this because we are still in a pandemic things are you know more and more people are being vaccinated which is good but we still have a number of people who are like i'm not getting vaccinated it's not real but the thing is it's not stopping the world opening up especially america opening up and one thing's for sure which is a sign that america is opening up is all 
the mass shootings of 2021. And we are just in April. And I have to run down this list here. It's so alarming. And I'm just going to start with the latest one and work my way back. April 15th, Indianapolis, FedEx facility. Eight people were killed. Four others were shot, injured. And 19-year-old suspect, some pimple-faced white kid, not sure what his motivation was, but one thing's for sure, he went there for a mission, on a mission, but he killed himself. You best believe if he didn't kill himself, he wouldn't have made it out there, out of there alive. Anyway, April 8th, Bryan, Texas, just went in, shot up a manufacturing facility, and like five people were wounded. One person was killed. March 22nd, Boulder, Colorado. Guy walks in a grocery store, kills 10 people. And it's so it's so interesting because this shooter wasn't a white person. He was um, uh, Middle Eastern, 21 years old. So they made sure they pointed that out about his ethnicity. March 16th, Atlanta, Georgia. We had this uh, this white guy who went in there and he killed eight people. Six of them were women of Asian descent. And um, the other two people were were white. And basically, he said he was he was 21 years old, and he said he had a sex addiction, and and he was just frustrated. He was having a bad day. He was having a bad day. Buffalo, Minnesota, 67 year old man went in and shot five people, killing one of them in a health clinic. January 9th, Chicago and Evanston, Illinois, five people were killed, including the 15-year-old. And the suspect was a 32-year-old. And um, he was in he was killed in a, during a shootout with police. So what the hell is going on? Is it because everybody has been locked in their houses? Is it because of four years of a lot of rhetoric? Is it just fear of the unknown? What do you think this is? Like, what what is going on with all these mass shootings? I take a pause right there. Um, and the reason why I do is because this just didn't start in 2021 or... 2020 or pandemic uh, this has been going on for for some years uh, I guess I take a pause because it takes me back to a, a time period for several years back uh, I think we all remember back in was it 1999 what was the first shooting oh Columbine Columbine mm-hmm uh, it seems like that seemed to be a very pivotal time that it takes, at least to me, takes me back. And then my memory fast forwards to uh, Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. uh, which was, I think it was 2007, 2006, 2007, right. uh, which was a mass shooting that seemed to hit 
hit the map and mm-hmm. that was very traumatic and it seems like from there things snowballed sandy hook sandy hook and the reason why i say it snowballed because right after virginia tech which i believe was 2007 uh, i was at a university mm-hmm. at 2008 at northern illinois university and we had a shooting at our university mm. and it was not even six eight months after Virginia Tech and being involved in that on the day of the shooting Valentine's Day my world shifted when it came to mass shootings Mm. it's not you never are quite the same because you think when it can't happen to you or it's not supposed to happen at your place Mm -hmm. and it comes close to home that's when you become a candidate of where it can happen And after that, I never looked at mass shootings the same because you just quite have an experience when you get caught in the chaos of a situation Mm -hmm. to be close enough to the place. I'm not going to go into details, but to be close enough to be right in the middle of it, not in the room, but in the next building, right in the middle of, of an environment of students. I lost a student that day. I lost a couple students who were shot former students that day mm-hmm. uh, to, to have to go through counseling requirement. The university was shut down to be in the middle of the chaos of students, the pan, pandemonium. Um, you know, you don't quite understand it. And that was quite before shootings were as popular as they are today. And so it always kind of takes me back to that moment or to that year on Valentine's Day. Out of all the days in the world, uh, I had a student who I was walking into that building and a student kept me out because they wanted to have a conference. And she was an angel in disguise. I never saw her after that day. But nevertheless, uh, after that, I began to have a different effect of mass shootings. And I'll never forget that Jesse Jackson came to our university that night. And, and all he kept saying is, because nobody could say anything, is God is not dead. That's all he said. God is not dead. What can we say to a community um, who's lost? And the shooter shot himself once again, um, who happened to be a former student who had some mental health issues. But moving forward, the mass shootings seem to continue. Uh, but it, you wonder why it continues to happen. I remember uh, not too long ago, I think it was 2017, there was a mass shooting in um, Las Vegas on the Strip. The one that comes to mind. I remember being in Orlando for the mass shooting that was at the nightclub. Mm -hmm. I remember being there in the city not far by Mm -hmm. uh, when that happened. And then I was in... uh, uh, the Las Vegas, I happened to be in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, from my birthday, and I met an Australian family who we went on an a adventure swimming with the dolphins. I'll never forget, it was my birthday. And I met this family, and they were there, and they had just came from Las Vegas. They were on vacation. And after talking with this family, they were at the strip where the shooting took place and cut their vacation short and flew to Hawaii immediately because they were involved in that particular shooting. And I asked them about the shooting and being from Australia, they were a bit bit trauma. They had two kids and, you know, being on vacation, coming from another continent, a bit trauma, trying to just get away. 
And I said, you know, how would you act if this happened back in Australia where you're from? How would this, how, how would you cope with some type of thing like this? The Las Vegas shooting, 60 people were killed. Um, over 400 people were shot. Over uh, nearly 1,000 people were injured on that particular shooting at the Mandolin Bay Hotel, the shooter, and the shooter actually shot himself. And I'll never forget what the woman told me. It was her, her husband, and two kids. Uh, we were driving in the van that day. She said, this would never happen in Australia. And I looked at her, and I said, what? She said, something like this would never happen in our, in our at home. I said, why? She said, because we don't have guns. Only the police are able to have guns. We don't have guns. And I never forgot what she said to me. And I never forgot. And they immediately chartered a plane and left Las Vegas and flew to Hawaii. And they had just got there and they were going to get away to swim with the dolphins to try to have some peace and resolve. And I interacted with them through the day with that excursion but it reminds me that we don't have the reform that we need here in the United States as it comes to our legislations and our laws because of politics because of whatever the legislation of guns or the NRA or whatever it is that we have due to however long it goes behind but there is some type of need and someone's gonna to have to stand up. And just like I heard with police brutality, the laws are probably not gonna change until the white kids begin to get shot or maybe the laws are not gonna change until people start shooting up the White House or the Capitol building, which actually, you know, things became a little sensitive, that the laws are going to have to start changing as it relates to the background checks or the legislation or who actually can have the semi-automatic weapons or how they're actually able to be passed. Uh, I don't know why there's a need for the mass shootings or people think that they can just take life into their own hands, mm -hmm. but clearly people do not value life in each other's life. Because if they did, they couldn't just take and go in randomly to take someone else's and then take their own. And it happens so often. And it just become another media headline that we've been desensitized to. Because now it's just, well, how many people were killed? Well, oh, it was only two, three. Well, how many? A hundred. Oh, well, was this the biggest one in history yet? Because it seems like the bigger it is, the larger it is, the worse that it is. Because if it was not that many people, then it wasn't as big as the last one or this last one or this one five years ago or 10 years ago, or we don't have it to compare it to. And that's a problem because it's happening so often and it's going for so long and for so many years that now we just have the stats. A lot of countries will say, well, we don't have guns. A uh, a social media buddy of mine, Hawk Newsom, outspoken brother. He's uh, he I think he runs the um, the Black Lives Matter chapter in New York. He's always like in Houston doing training, assault rifle training, and just staying sharp and preparing. And he believes gun reform 
it's going to affect black and brown people more than anybody because it's going to be a way of taking guns from us, from us being able to protect ourselves. We already have um, bullseyes on our back and on our chest and on our heads. And, you know, and, and so to to take away our right to bear arm is is putting us in further jeopardy. And so so my I'm just wondering, you know, like you and I, you know, we're going through our conceal and carry training and yes, all of that. But the thing is, we are doing it legally and I have no problem with doing a background check, making sure that I'm not on some list of, um, you know, doing something illegal or whatever, as well as having any type of mental issues or diagnosis or whatever. You know, I've had some incident that will be a red flag of me being able to purchase uh, AK-47 or any other assault assault rifle. And I think that's what the issue is, is at what ease these shooters can get these assault rifles. You know, no background check, nothing. Depending upon what state you're in, depends upon what type of requirements that you have to have. It's almost as if it's your states that are ruling as if it's the federal government versus your state rule government. Just simply, for example, buying ammunition. I mean, you can easily go to a website and buy ammunition or a gun. And depending upon what state you're in, depends upon what you need in order to buy it. If you are in a state that depending on what the law is, they'll ship it to you and it'll be at your doorstep in a matter of days. If you're in X, Y, and Z state, you have to provide certain identification, picture ID, which has to go through a certain check, which takes so many days before you can possibly get it. It depends upon what state you're in. Certain states have certain selections, but certain states have no selections. Mm -hmm. Being in the state of Texas, it'll just come to your mailbox. All right. You know, if you're in maybe a state of Illinois or a state of New Jersey, just to say, for example, a couple, uh, that's not so so quick. You're going to receive those items. It's interesting. I, you know, I never thought that I would ever get a gun. I never thought that until I moved to Texas and until I watched so many seasons of The Walking Dead and seeing that, wow, when the structure of society falls apart and all it, and we saw what happens when everything was closing up with the pandemic and how people were acting over buying food and cleaning supplies. Toilet paper. And, and toilet paper, how people were acting. And it was just like, whoa, wait a minute. Do I want to be able to protect myself? And I do. I want to be able to protect myself from a threat. And and not not every threat is 
a criminal trying to break into your house. There are other threats out there. And sometimes those threats are carrying guns as well and badges. I hate to say it. Though sometimes those are threats as well. I just had this conversation with a buddy of mine and somebody said, we have these white supremacists and just all these bad people infiltrating the police department. And then he said, well, wait a minute. The police department was built on that. You know, we have to go back to slavery where the police came from, you know, the overseer, you know, catching slaves, runaway slaves and watching them and things like that. So the whole idea of policing was based on a racist ideology, a construct or whatever you want to call it. It wasn't built on people being equal. Keeping that in mind, it's just like, no, they didn't infiltrate the police. That's just what it was based on. And that was the culture. And now, yeah, you might have good people who become police officers, but the good people have to have to get rid of this rotten culture that exists. And so, you know, when you have black and brown people and, and indigenous people and Asian people who become police officers, then they're told to forget about their race and be blue. But what exactly is blue? And what is blue based upon? Well, blue is a culture that they've created based upon beliefs, attitudes, and value systems that they have formed and created. And in order to truly understand that, uh, you have to be indoctrinated to that. Mm. And um, Blue shares that understanding of what that is. Mm -hmm. And we are not truly privy to that, to what that is. And based upon those beliefs, what they believe, what they think, those values, what they deem important, and share the attitudes, uh, whether it be positive, negative, indifferent, uh, is how the behaviors that you see, mm -hmm. and their actions. Um, you know, I do believe this based upon their values, their principles, which is on paper and what it's supposed to be. But I also know that there's a culture, and that culture is built. It's, it's not a race. It's, it's based upon what they consider to be blue. And somewhere along the line, you know, it's kind of like in this country where they say green is above all. And with them, it's blue above all. I think it's just one of those things you have to be in it. You could be born into it. It could be a legacy thing or you are part of it and it becomes a part of who you are. It does not mean that you have to abide by uh, the behaviors that are not necessarily uh, intrinsically what it's supposed to be. But, um, you know, sometimes you have to go along to get along too. And um, you have to play if you want to go up. And uh, unfortunately, that's part of the policing. Because I think policing is just not for the public, but there's policing within the police. I think we have seen some examples. Right now, we live in a very 
virtual reality. We live in a very video reality. I don't want to move too far into it. I do want to go back to say that I'm not against guns. I want to make that very clear. It wasn't until I moved to Texas that I even begun to even uh, handled a gun or even shot a gun or even went to a gun range. I think that's a part of the culture in Texas. Everything grows big. It's Texas. Uh, it's a part of my surroundings in Texas. It doesn't mean I have to, but here in Texas, uh, that's, that's a good part of it. And people here, yes, they do conceal and carry, but a lot of people don't conceal and they don't necessarily license, but they do have guns. I was, I was taught that very early when I got here. Uh, you come on our property, you might get shot. <laughs> we don't necessarily have a license, but this is our property. I learned very quickly, but that's a part of the culture. As we were just talking about the police, part of the culture. I'm in the culture. I want to know the culture. I want to know the rules to the culture. It doesn't mean necessarily that I have to act, but I definitely want to know where I am. And I definitely want to know who I'm with. Um, but I think that part of that licensing in that reform could affect brown and black people more so than other groups of races. Yes, I do believe that. One thing's for sure. The police department in Minnesota has said enough is enough and we are going to change the culture. We are going to identify bad apples. And if you go about doing procedure that is against what we stand for and that will make our job difficult, we're not going to back you and you will get fired because we don't want you to be part of this organization. We don't want you to represent us. And this was on full display during the Derek uh, Chauvin uh, case, which today he was found guilty of all three charges. He faces 40 years in prison for second degree murder, 25 years for third degree murder, and up to 10 years for second degree manslaughter. And during that trial, you had the police chief, you had training officers, you had EMTs, you had dispatch callers, you had all these different people saying no. What I see is wrong. And they did not hold back. They weren't covering up, protecting blue. They basically said, no, this guy, this guy is a bad guy. This guy is a rotten apple. And this guy executed George Floyd on that street that day. And he needs to pay for what he did. And that's great. Now we'll see what he gets, you know, how many years he gets, but it's not over because we have to 
you know, they're going to have to have the case for the um, other officers who stood by and allow it to happen. They didn't stand up. They didn't say, hey, enough is enough. Get your knee off of there. They didn't do any of that. But what's crazy is while this case is going on, you have all these other shootings of unarmed young black men and Latinos being killed for simple traffic stops, for situations where they comply. So, you know, people say, well, comply. Well, okay, I I comply, but you kill me anyway. It's almost like black men, Latino men, people, period, are being hunted, being hunted. And we are citizens of this country. We pay taxes. We work. We are fathers and uncles and sons and and cousins and friends and coaches and teachers and mayors. You had the mayor share his traumatic experiences with the police growing up. And he said that it is dangerous to drive while being black in Minnesota. And that's the mayor. But it is a positive thing that we see that he did get charged and that you had all these different cops and people in positions to speak out. Do you think that's a sign of hope? I think it's a sign. I think it could be categorized as hope. I think it's a sign of of breath because he couldn't breathe. And the reason why is because, like myself, so many people were holding their breath for today. And if there wasn't a conviction today, there was going to be fire, blood, chaos, and purity hell in the streets, in the cities, in every crook place, and in people's hearts. Not just in this country, but around the world. America was on the center stage today around the world. And I'm glad that those 12 jurors understood that and only took 10 and a half hours. There wasn't much deliberation that really needed to take place. I watched the trial, probably at least I would say 80 to 85% of the trial. But I think today was where people could actually take a breath and not have to hold it today. Because the civil case was won for the family of 27 million, but we saw Breonna Taylor's family win the civil case. But it doesn't necessarily mean the criminal case is to be won. And even when a criminal case and a civil case are won, it doesn't necessarily mean that a sentencing is going to be what it's supposed to be, as we saw in uh, Laquan McDonald's case in Chicago with who was shot 16 times, the 16 shots. And the officer only received just a little less than seven years. So just because we have had some signs of 
reliefs. And when I say we, I'm speaking in a collective. It doesn't mean that oftentimes it could be civil, but not criminal, or it could be criminal and not civil. It could be criminal, but then it's a less sentence or somehow it seems to be a short end one way or another. But it appears that today with this particular case and then the, this, this, this case of Derek, uh, Derek uh, Chauvin. Chauvin, that it seems to be one that all the boxes get marked. It appears to be that this is going to be that case. Uh, that George Floyd will, will get the justice for so many others that have not. And for so many presently, even in the midst of this trial, that probably will not, whose cases are still pending. And those that are yet still to come, whose names that are yet still we have not heard. You know, I'm still just a little bit, I don't know. It's almost a year later. It's almost a year later when people in a pandemic came out in numbers of masses of numbers and marched in cities. They didn't care about COVID. Yes, they regulated, they masked, they social, but it was something about Mr. Floyd who somehow gave of himself in his life in order to change the world, in order to be, be a person, in order to be a hero of someone who had an addiction an opiate addiction, but yet somehow people know him across the land and across the world and his name will forever be known on murals and billboards and rings across and has continued to and will. And there's something about that that I just can't. And for so many people today, they needed that breath that he could not seem to get. And, um, Maybe there will be some change, at least for some people in Minnesota, at least for that police department. Maybe there'll be that premier department where there'll be some change. Maybe it starts somewhere. And and with President Biden coming out today saying that this particular case and the verdict is a step forward uh, for the nation, you know, that's more than what could be said last year for President Trump when it took place. You know, COVID-19 took so many lives. You know, going back to 2020 in the first six months, it took so many lives. But I really believe that without this pandemic, all the things like going to the movies, um, going to sporting events, going to concerts, all the entertainment distraction, they were taken off the table. Took the attention. People were stuck in their homes watching television. And for the courage of that young lady to film the execution of George Floyd by this demon. Derek Chauvin is is a demon. And he took pleasure in taking that man's life. You saw it on his face. And the community pleaded with him to save that man's life and he disregarded everything that they said 
and it's on camera. And it forced America and the world to look at that at that that recording, to look at the different angles from um, security cameras. And the thing is, there was no distractions. And and people were fed up. When you had people people in in all these different continents and countries marching with George Floyd signs saying enough is enough. The impact was incredible. It was absolutely incredible, but I don't think any of that would have happened without the pandemic. I don't think any of it would have happened Without the back-to-back of Breonna Taylor. Uh, what's the young man? Aubrey? Ahmaud Aubrey. Yeah. Just, uh, it's just like, well, wait a minute. What's going on? What's happening? This woman, you kill this woman while she's sleeping in her house. Then you kill this young uh, man with this promising future while he's jogging. And then then the, the, um, the other um, brother who was in his house and that, that white policewoman, Went to the wrong apartment. Uh, Jolton. Yeah. Jolton. Um, uh, it, it, it was in Texas up in, oh my goodness. She went to his apartment and thought she was in his, in her place and she killed him. And then the, and then the, um, the, 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 the mentally challenged young man who they injected, the police injected him and he died later. He was, he was just walking home. So I think all these things happening, people were just like, wait a minute, what is going on? And I, I, I really believe- Elijah McCain. Elijah, yes. And I think that by the time it happened to George Floyd and to see that execution, it was enough was enough. Enough was enough. And when his little daughter said, my daddy changed the world, my daddy's going to change the world. She was right. So we're going to see the impact. Both, was his name? Bolton, Bolton John. I think it was his name in the apartment complex. I think it was in Dallas. Bolton John, I think that was him, the young man. The police officer went into the wrong apartment because I watched his funeral service online. Very impactful young man. Very impactful Just, service. It's just the fear of a black and brown body. The fear. The fear of it and then the disregard for it. Disregard for life. And so it's it's something. But you know, the the pandemic, there, there was time for people to focus. It was time. There was no distraction. The attention. You know, we were very busy people. Right. And... We didn't have time for the entertainment Mm -hmm. and with the lack of the entertainment and our focus. But, you know, that it also brings us back to the 1950s and civil rights when we finally got the 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 media of medium of TV television Mm -hmm. and what television did for the civil rights movement and what that picture brought to to white America, to the homes of the people in the north. 
and they knew what was going on in the South. They knew about the dogs and the fire hoses. They knew they were reading about it in the headlines and hearing about it on the radio. But when they brought that picture into their living rooms and across their dinner table, when they saw that, it changed the narrative. Mm-hmm. And when they saw that they were attacking those children and they were attacking those kids with the dogs and the water hoses and putting those children in the jail, that's when the civil rights changed because the civil rights movement was about to die it, before Rosa Parks got on the bus, the back right. of the bus. It was almost dead. Mm-hmm. But when those children went to jail, right. that saved the civil rights and television going to the northern states and those people seeing what they had been hearing. So there is some power in the picture. There was some power oh, without in, a doubt. in that video. It was some power of people not being distracted by their normal lives. In eight minutes and 46 seconds that that girl videotaped just on the side, it immediately she just, she, she got the cell phone out and how they defense tried to destroy her credibility. But you know, eight minutes and 46 seconds, but there was nine minutes and 23 seconds when you got into the trial because there was more time and more angles that was even that much the more that showed uh, just how much more destruction that they put him through. But it was enough for the world to be able to see eight minutes and 46 seconds, but actually he was on his neck for nine minutes and 23 seconds. Well, you know, this this episode was was basically for us to to catch up on what took place this past week. And sadly, this week was filled with um, some iconic losses. And but, you know, we do come out of this with a victory of somewhat justice of Chauvin being um, charged and, you know, we'll, we'll see how many years he, he gets and, um, and we'll see what happened with Dante and Dante, right? Yeah. And, um, 13 year old young man, um, in Chicago. And the police officer with Dante, right? Um, what was her name? Uh, the lady, the, the, the woman, she was charged with manslaughter. Mm-hmm. Because at first, according to Minnesota law, they were saying that it was a possibility that she would not be charged. But she was charged, indeed, and arrested uh, for manslaughter, which which was good. Um, But I do want to say one last thing about Derek Chauvin. You know, not just him being convicted today Mm -hmm. as an individual, but what he represented, what he represented, not just for the bad apples in the police, but who he represent as far as his ideas, the fact that this wasn't his first time out with uh, having violations against him. Right. He had over 20, nearly 30 previous violations in his records uh, that had been filed against him for treatment that clearly nothing had taken place. Uh, the fact that he felt that he could do what he does and 
nothing had been done or that he was above the law or he was the law or whatever. What he represents today more so than anything for me, that was the conviction. Mm -hmm. And for him and for anybody else who like him, whether it be police or anybody else in any type of industry or whether or not you're sitting at home in your living room. Uh, and I'm going to say this just because Trump slithered away and we don't see him every day and he's right. not in the White House. It doesn't mean that what he represents and the ideology is still not very present. And for that to be convicted, that representation for me that ideology and mindset was convicted today. You're right. And I'm glad, and I hope those that were sitting in their homes that believed and supported and donated were convicted right along with him. Oh, he, he had his supporters. Oh, yeah, he did, because when they didn't give bail and those that support, they were convicted right along with. And that, for me, was just not him as one but everybody behind that right along with the support because there are many and there are a lot. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be surprised if there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands that are right there behind him in an invisible sense. They might be quiet, but trust me, they're there. And they represent that same mentality, concept, and I, today, for me, and I'm in closing, that they, too, were convicted, and they, too, know that this change has to come. I hope so. Representation is a must. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out. And um, sadly, we're at the crossroads, and there are a lot of people who feel like their hold on the country, their hold on a particular way of life is being threatened. And they're going to fight for this tooth and nail. And by any means necessary, they're going to fight. And the question is, are we going to fight back? I don't think it's a matter of we're going to fight back. We've been fighting from the beginning of time, we never stopped fighting. I guess it's how we're going to fight. Are we going to fight fire with fire? Are we going to fight with the old traditional ways of protest? And because many people feel like that's played. And like Sean Connery said in The Untouchables, they send one of ours to the hospital. We send one of theirs to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. So I'm not saying, you know, be violent. I'm not saying that. But people are tired of having their heads cracked, lives taken, rights infringed upon. People are tired. And you're seeing a different vibe in the streets. That's think, all I'm going to say. I think this goes back to, to, and I think this comes back to Tony, your film a film buff and a filmmaker. And I'm going to take the most current bit that this is the week of the Oscars uh, Academy Awards with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. They were rooting for heavily mm -hmm. uh, with uh, 
Chairman Fred Hampton, Black Panthers, movie about the Black Panthers, Judas and the Black Messiah, when he says, I am a revolutionary. And I think this comes back to that same concept of thought. You know, it's time to to be that revolutionary spirit. I think that's what you're seeing rising up in this particular generation. It's okay to protest and it's okay to march. But I think you're seeing a generation right now that has that revolutionary spirit of action. Uh, I think you're seeing a, a resurgence of that. Uh, in in this particular, we okay to to march and protest and to be nonviolent, but we need some action. Uh, we need to see that revolutionary. You know, maybe I'm not taking one of yours, but I'm sure enough going to let you know that I'm here and I'm right in front of you and I'm not backing down. And I think you're you're seeing that type of spirit uh, re-manifest, if you will. I think it's the same spirit that you've seen with Brother Malcolm, Brother Malcolm X, that he preached uh, in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's the same thing we saw with King, but I think there's a there's a balance that you need and it's necessary. Uh, we're not playing checkers. This is a game of chess and you need that strategy. And uh, with that being said, uh, with Judas and the Black Messiah, Chairman Fred, and I'm from the Illinois chapter, or from Illinois, I would say, mm -hmm. I am a revolutionary. All right. I don't think I can uh, top that. Well, you're from Chicago. Oh, yeah, I'm from Chicago. And, you know, my grandmother was part of the uh, Nation of Islam, but she also was a spy for the Black Panther Party. She was the help. She cleaned houses, but she was always, uh, she always had her own business. And so she had stopped cleaning houses and was her, you know, she had her own business, but because she had that background, she went back into cleaning houses for specific people to spy on them. So that's what she did. She did, she did that out in California and, um, and she did that in Chicago. So, um, yeah, she, uh, she lived a very, very interesting life to say the least. I'm not, I'm not officially a black Panther, but in the spirit of the Oscars, I am supporting Judas and the black Messiah this week for all six nominations. Yeah. I'm, I'm supporting them as well. Uh, Charles King and, and, um, uh oh um shaka well shaka is the director right and ryan coogler ryan, ryan coogler is one of the producers one of the producers right yeah. right right and then the twin brothers wrote it they wrote the script yeah oh i didn't know that yeah i forgot their name they're comedians they dropped out of law school and then became comedians but they uh wrote the script years ago no i didn't know that yeah they're um god what are their names but I know a lot of people involved in that particular movie, most of them got their start through Sundance Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Kenneth and Keith Lucas, twin brothers. Brother brothers. Brother brothers. Yeah. Okay. Um, so hey, we're going to um oh, before we before we wrap this up, share with us um three shows that are in your rotation right now that you're watching that you're streaming 
oh, that I'm streaming? Yeah. Oh, I'm not really streaming much. I'm streaming Snowfall every Wednesday right now. Okay, so Snowfall. 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 That's been great. That's been a great season. FX. If you're not there, you need to know. I think there's a season with three, four. Season four. Season four. If you're not, catch up. I'm streaming. Oh, second season just started. Godfather of Harlem. Mm -hmm. I just started this week. Season... uh, Season two, two, episode one, and I'm catching up with Queen Sugar on the OWN channel. Okay. Season five, uh, Ava DuVernay. Uh, season five just started, I think, two months ago. I just caught up with season five. I think they've just been renewed for season six. Mm-hmm. So if you're not really on to that, I haven't yet started them. I completed on them. Amazon Prime. I've, it's in the rotation. I've heard mixed reviews. I haven't had time quite. I need a couple of days. It's um. It's on the list. It was very interesting. It's very relevant to what's going on today, even though it's a period piece that goes back to the fifties. But it's it's definitely relevant. Filled with a lot of trauma. It's supposed to be a horror film, horror series. All I can say is it it's interesting. It's entertaining came up short in certain areas for me but i do recommend people watch it yeah another show that i'm streaming right now is falcon and the winter soldier and they're dealing with race as well yeah they're dealing with race i'm streaming for all mankind on um, apple tv this is season two it's an alternate reality. The space race. It's a great show. It's it's really, it's really intense, and um, I recommend if people if you like anything dealing with um, the space race and going to the moon and anything dealing with that, this is the this is the show for you. Uh, what else? I just started watching the new series. Um, the Irregulars. Okay. That's... Uh, How is that? Surprisingly, it's interesting. You know, it's a twist on the Sherlock Holmes and, and, and Dr. Watson story, but it's focused on these kids, street kids that are, so far, they're doing some work, some investigative work for Dr. Watson. But I also started watching this other show that is uh, also... British show that um, reimagines um, it's, it's back in the 19th century and it's all about like you know different people with special powers and um, I just watched the first episode and I'm just like oh okay so they got women in in the show kicking butt they're you know they have special gadgets um, it's it's really it's really entertaining what's the name of it? I can't remember the name of it right now I'm gonna have to get back with you on that I just watched it I can't remember the name of it but um but yeah those are the shows that I'm I'm watching right now of course you know um, Fear the Walking Dead just came back and then The Walking Dead just went on its um, last season hiatus. So they'll be coming back um, in the summer for the second half of their final season. So yeah, that's uh, that's been good as well. So those are some of the shows that... Um, well, I, I watch a lot of medical shows too. Oh, okay. I'm a medical uh, TV show. What medical shows? 
well, you know, I'm a pretty traditional person. Right. I'm a, I'm a Grey's Anatomy fan. Yeah, season. I'm just... Don't do it. Yeah, I'm not into... If you're not there, you're just not there. Yeah, I just... just so you, have just to, you have to be a long-standing fan to understand. Yeah, well, I understand it. It's a yeah. soap opera. Yeah, nighttime. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, it's not don't. my thing. It's been my thing for a long time, so I don't advertise it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not a Grey's person, you're just not a Grey's person. Uh, I do watch The Resident. The Resident, I don't know what channel it comes on. I watch it on Hulu. It's a great medical... TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do watch The Good Doctor. It's another medical TV show. I know The Good Doctor. Can't say it's good, but I know The Good Doctor. You know, it's this season has not been the best. Mm-hmm. I've kind of not been as intrigued this season as I was before. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to continue with it for the next season. I, I, the Resident has taken over. Okay. Okay. That's a great one. The Resident is a great medical show. And... Um, but I, I've always been a medical person, mm-hmm. from ER to Doogie Howser to, oh yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's how I started. So I love the medical scene. Um, Chicago Med, I can reel them down. So I'm always going to be on the Med team, but I don't really talk about that. So yeah, I was a saint elsewhere. I did do them too. You know, I like that show. But yeah, I guess that's my drama. I don't watch the soaps during the day, but I guess that would be my You like you like soap opera. But no, I I don't watch Meaning it. meaning you like the evening soap. But I like the medical focus. Right, but yeah. the, those are soap operas. That's what that's what they are. Well, I think they're more drama narrative. I would But those are those are what you call evening soaps. That's what they are. Yeah, okay, whatever. But yeah. they're good for me. Not, I'm not judging you. Yeah. No judgments on not, not judging you. Yeah, but I, I'm drawn into those specifically okay. in the hospital medical. I, I probably because I always wanted to be a medical doctor. That's what. It, That's what it boiled down to. Okay. And then I ended up becoming a academic doctor. Okay. So, well, you know. listen. Yeah. In some part of the world, they will let you practice medicine with with your doctorate. No, I, I honestly, after getting my uh, <laughs> after getting my PhD. <laughs> I applied into uh, to go into a pre-doctorate medical degree program. So uh-huh. It's a long story, but for another day. But yeah, I probably always watch the medical TV shows mm. and live the dream through the narrative. So in the meantime, I'm going to continue on. Uh, this is the sauce. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's well, been a good it's, one. What's the sauce? All of it's a sauce because it's just saucy. The name of the show is? What's the sauce? Why don't we let the listener figure out what's the sauce for them? Okay, that's fine. But the name of the show is What's the Sauce? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you gotta gotta pick a name. What's what's the the sauce? sauce? I love the sauce. All right, people. All right. That's episode two. I'm Tony Clomax, writer, director extraordinaire, and my co-host is... I'm Dr. Tammy L. Holmes, and... um, I'm just a person. I'm just I'm just here. I'm loving being here and I'm loving being here with the extraordinaire <laughs> over here. <laughs> you heard it from from Dr. Tamiel Holmes. <laughs> All right. We are out. Yes, we are.